believe that this is the last one and then we have our potluck and Gloria's going to do an exhortation, which will be good. But anyway, let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now, Lord. And Father, we just ask that you would cleanse our heart and forgive us of sin. And Lord, we are so thankful for all that you taught us through these attributes. Amazing, incredible, wonderful attributes. And there's so many that we didn't even get a chance to look at. And so, Lord, I just ask, Father, that you would have your hand upon our life. As we have looked at these attributes, we desire with a fervent desire that we can be like you, that we can just um, imitate you and be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we may just draw from your strength, from your resources, Lord. Father, that we may be transformed. And we just thank you. And I just thank you for their groups, for what you learned in their, for what they were learning in their groups, and for the way in which each other ministers to one another. And I just ask, Lord, that as we come to the study, Lord, that um, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, Lord, that the word would go upon fertile soil, Lord, that it would be rich and deep and in their hearts, Lord. Father, I just um, lift this teaching to you, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would have free access, and your Holy Spirit would have authority to minister to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Transformed by his attributes. Tonight we want to look at how God's attributes transforms the believer. As we have studied just some of his attributes, these attributes allow us to have a greater understanding of who our God is. There is such incredible value in being acquainted in all God's ways. And I love what Job said in Job 22 verse 21. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby, God will come to you. David instructed Solomon in his last will and testament. Listen to um, King David's words to his son in First Chronicles 28, verse 9. He says, as for you, my son, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. As the pastor's wife, know the God of your father. God wants to teach you so much. We're told in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. He delights in the fact that you know him. He delights in that. Knowing what God is like is foundational to knowing God himself. John 17, verse 3 tells us, And this is eternal life, that you may, that you may know the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. This is eternal life, that you may know him. True knowledge of God must be a clear mental understanding of his, perf of his perf perf perfections as revealed in the word of God. If you don't know him, how will you know what his likes and his dislikes are? An, an unknown God can neither be trusted 
served, nor worshipped. We began this study by learning God's incommunicable attributes, meaning the attributes which cannot be passed on. Then we moved on to God's communicable attributes, which can be passed on. And so what I want to do is look at both of them. So let's briefly look at the incommunicable attributes of God. Again, these are the attributes which cannot be passed on. We learned God is our creator. We studied God created all things, heaven and earth, light and darkness, land and sea, and everything that exists in the sky, the land and the sea. We learned man was created in the image of God and that man was created to have fellowship with him. God, the creator, gave Adam dominion over his creation. God placed Adam and Eve in a paradise called Eden, and they enjoyed fellowship, incredible fellowship with their creator. Regardless of a perfect relationship with God, regardless of a paradise, regardless of every and all blessings Adam and Eve had received, they wanted more. Sound familiar? As they say, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, does it, girls? They chose to disobey God, and sin entered in. They brought a separation between man and God, which broke man's fellowship with his God. Sin may cost a friendship that you and I may have, but don't let sin cost your friendship with God. It's not worth it. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. In spite of man's rebellion, God the Creator established a way through the death of his Son, which allows for redemption and the restoration of man's fellowship with God. God's Son, being the substitute for our sins, has restored our fellowship with him. We also learn that God is omnipotent. Omnipotent meaning all-powerful. His power is unlimited and eternal. None can thwart his power. His power is seen in creation and his control over nature. He sustains all of his creation. By God's power, we have been redeemed from a life of self-destruction and he provides for us the power that we need to live a life contrary to our destructive lives and a life that is pleasing to God. When, he, when we call upon the omnipotent God, we are assured that nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible for him. We learn that God is omnipresent. Omnipresent meaning he is present everywhere and at all times. In Jeremiah 23, verse 24, Jeremiah said, Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Do you think we can hide from God? Do you think you can go anywhere? He says, if you go to the furthest part, I'm there. If you go in the darkness, I'm there. Wherever we go, God is there. He's present. God is spirit and therefore is not limited to time, space, or matter. Because God is omnipresent, Everything is naked and open before him. Everything. You think you got secrets? Think again. We can be assured, regardless of our circumstances, God is present. And that his presence will strengthen and assure the child of God. Knowing that God is present in every situation, in everywhere I go, is an assurance to me. 
I am so grateful that he accompanies me. Remember God told Moses, my presence will go with you. His presence goes with every one of us. He is with us always so we can be assured. We learn that God is omniscient. Omniscient meaning he is all-powerful. There is nothing that God needs to learn. His knowledge of the past, present, and the future is perfect and complete. Job said in Job 37 verse 16, he is perfect in knowledge. You and I have been around smart people. We've been around people that are very knowledgeable, but there's none as knowledgeable as God. In John, uh, 1 John 3 verse 20 he says, he knows all, everything. What are you going through tonight? Is there a question you have? Go to God. Open up your Bible. Read what God says. God not only knows everything that pertains to his creation, but he is also aware of every detail uh, regarding every individual. Not just in this room, but in the whole wide world. He knows every detail. He knows how many hairs are upon, upon our head. When we were formed in secret, he was there. When we were being formed and we were fearfully and wonderfully made, he was there. Every individual. That kind of knowledge is just boggling. And that's, and I'm just talking about the human race. Now I'm not talking about the constellations and, and, um, the plants and the animals and everything. He knows everything. Everything is known to him. Um, God's, God knows each one of us intimately. I love that. He knows when I'm having a bad day. He knows intimately what's going on. We learn God is immutable. Immutable meaning he never changes. You and I change. I've changed a lot since my husband married me. I'm not the same person I was. But God, he is the same today as he has always been. Because God is perfect in his being, he cannot be made better or change for the worse. He will never change. That is a comfort to every one of us. He does not change. Have you ever been around different individuals and you've gotten kind of close and then all of a sudden there's a change and they kind of maybe pull back god's never going to do that he is there always he doesn't change the fact that god does not change in any way provides the child of god with great stability and comfort we can be certain that his word his will his promises and his purposes will not change he is immutable we learn that God is triune. The triune God uh, is um, the Trinity, is God's revelation of himself to man about the nature of the Godhead. The scriptures reveal that the doctrine of the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God manifested in three persons. All three persons of the Trinity are active and interrelated. To accomplish the purposes of God, which is an advantage to every one of us in this room, to every individual. We learn that God is sovereign. Sovereign meaning God reigns supremely over all things. He possesses all power, all authority over all things at all times. In Psalms 103 verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 46 verse 10 tells us, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Nothing happens outside of his control. God has all power over nature, earthly authorities, angels, and demons. Satan himself must ask permission from God, as in the case of Job, which we all know about that story. 
His sovereignty brings comfort to the believer, knowing that everything that happens in our lives is known by him. And he is able to use all things for good. When life is out of control, we can trust in God who is sovereign. We learn that God is eternal. Eternal meaning having no beginning and no end. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Genesis 21, 33 tells us the everlasting God. No beginning, no end. He is outside the dimension of time existing before creation. Before he began to create, he knew the end from the beginning. He further proves his eternity by foretelling events uh, before they even happen. He tells of future events. We, re- we read about it in the, pro- in the different prophecies. We're still reading about it. And there's still prophecy to be fulfilled. The eternal God in his love has provided a way for man to inhabit eternity with him. Because he lives, we also will live with him throughout all eternity. We learned God's wrath. God's wrath uh, describes the attitude of holiness and justice in regard to sin and evil. When God administers his wrath against sinful man, uh, it is always judicially and righteously done, never done by impulse or emotions. You and I are guilty of that, but God is never guilty of that. It's never by impulse or by emotions. Our sins make us subject to God's divine wrath. All mankind are by nature children of wrath, but God in his love and mercy has provided a way to divert God's judgment, God's wrath. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he experienced the fullness of God's wrath on sinners' behalf. Jesus alone can deliver us from the wrath to come. Thank God. That's how much he loves us. That his son took the full wrath of the Father and died for us. Now let's briefly look at the communicable uh, attributes of God. Remember, these attributes may be passed on. We learned of God's wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true. Wisdom is different from knowledge. Knowledge is information. Wisdom takes that knowledge and applies it to be accomplished for the best results. God is the source of all wisdom. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, we're told, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. His understanding is infinite. Romans 16, verse 27 says, God alone is wise. He alone has perfect wisdom. God's actions are always perfect and always wise. We learned God's holiness. Holiness describes God's nature as being absolutely pure. Holy means to be separated, set apart from all that is unclean. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, Habakkuk says about God, You are purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. We serve a holy God. In 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is absolutely pure and free from all and any sin. The holiness of God is revealed in his hatred for sin and in the separation of God from sinners. The believer, having been forgiven of sin through God's Son, We receive grace. 
We then are commanded in Hebrews 12, verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God says, be holy for I am holy. We learned God's righteousness. Righteousness is the character or quality of being right or just. All that he is and all that he does is absolutely just and right. In Psalms 89, verse 14, we're told righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. This is the God we serve. This is our creator. God is righteous and he interacts with the godly and the ungodly alike. God's righteousness deals with his actions, his decisions towards man, which are perfect in agreement with his holy nature. This is the God we serve. Those who believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins are provided with the righteousness of Christ. Today, you and I, if you're born again, stand in Christ's righteousness. We are right relationship with our God. We learned God's mercy. Mercy speaks of God's innate desire to pity, help, and aid the needy. Uh, Mercy also is in relation to God withholding judgment. The mercy of God is manifested in his loving patience towards sinners. Listen to Lamentations chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It tells us, Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning, ladies. Jesus illustrated God's mercy as he went to the cross for you and I. We learned of God's grace. The attribute of grace describes the unmerited favor of God towards man. No one deserves it, nor can anyone earn God's grace. God is love, and out of his heart of love flows his amazing grace that he lavishes upon the sinner when he sent his son to die for us. God's grace is sufficient for all of our needs. There is no sin or failure that his grace cannot forgive. As believers, we are to stand in grace, speak with grace, grow in grace, impart grace to those around us. We learned of God's goodness. The goodness of God is the attribute that enables him to be kind, benevolent, and full of goodwill towards men. In Psalms 34, verse 8, it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. His goodness is source in his love and demonstrated uh, when he sent his son to die on the cross for you and me. It is his goodness that draws us to him. Matter of fact, in Romans 2, verse 4, it says, The goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that leads us to that repentance. If we call upon him, we encounter his goodness over all aspects of our lives. In Psalms 84, verse 11, we're told, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. We learn God's love. His attribute of love is the expression of who God is because God is love. God's love is freely given without receiving anything in return. You see, we didn't have to do anything to earn God's love. He freely poured his love upon us. In 1 John 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, The love of God has been poured out in in our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love overcomes every obstacle, every obstacle in your life. His love will uh, overcome. We learned God's justice. God is it is the impartial and just judge of all the earth. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. He judges according to his righteous standard. His judgments are perfect because he possesses all knowledge and all wisdom. God is the searcher of the heart. For those who accept Jesus' death on the cross, for their sins, God's justice has been satisfied. Those who reject Jesus' offer of salvation must receive the righteous judgment of God, eternal death. The child of God can take comfort in the justice of God, knowing they have passed from death unto life. God will at last right every wrong, for he is a just God. So many times we look at situations that take place and you're just going, wow, they got away with that? What? They got... I love what Xavier says. God's, God's a Jew. He keeps good records. He takes care of his account. He will take care of his accounts. We learn God's patience. Patience is the attribute that describes his long suffering or his being slow to anger. God has all power to implement justice, bring swift destruction upon the sinner. But in his patience, God restrains himself in order to lead the sinner to repentance. And I'll never forget as a young Christian, not very old in the Lord, maybe five years in the Lord. And I remember there was a lot of tragedy that was taking place um, with children at the time. And I remember thinking, Lord, come back. Just come back. This is just too terrible, the things that are going on. I, it was like every night on the news, we were inundated with something that, was, that had happened to children. And God just so gently shared in my heart. Trudy, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't understand that kind of love. Because when I see some of the tragedies that take place, and yet God is so patient and so loving and so kind. In Psalms 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. One day the patience of God will come to an end. And they, the, there are those that will have to deal with God's judgment. And as we looked at just these brief um, descriptions of God's attributes uh, that we have studied, we understand that there is so much more. But one thing have you noticed as we went through these just quickly? Have you noticed the red thread that is weaved all through these attributes? The red thread that is weaved all through these attributes is the blood of Jesus Christ. Who came and he died for us and he became the propitiation for our sins. In First Chronicles 17 verse 20 it says, O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And in Job chapter 11 verses 7 through 10, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines uh, in you, uh, confines you in prison and conveys a court, who are you to oppose him? Who are we to oppose him? 
There is none like God. As we learn these mysteries, we want to be um, partakers of his divine nature. And with that, let's look at the transformation process. In studying these attributes, sometimes more than academic knowledge of God is needed. The transformation process begins, as you learned in your groups tonight, um, when we repented of our sins and we asked Christ into our hearts, realizing he is the propitiation for our sins and that he died in our place. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Once we understood that, everyone in this room confessed with their mouth as you became a Christian. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The believer has, once they accept Jesus Christ, an insatiable appetite to know their God. I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. Hosea chapter 6, verse 3 says, Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of our Lord. John seven seventeen says, If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know. Know what? Know our God. Daniel eleven thirty two, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That change is continually taking place as we grow in the knowledge of him. Second Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're told in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, as his divine power has given to us all things that, to per- that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Um, for by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of his divine nature. Once we are born again, we are partaking of his divine nature. Our thinking changes, our actions are changing, but it is always an upward and onward change to become more like him. We learn that we desire that he desires to be our mentor. As you read your Bible, I am amazed how God intimately speaks to our heart. If you will take the time to read his word, he will minister to you. He will show you the way. Every one of his attributes draws us into a deeper relationship relationship with him as we begin to comprehend him more in psalms 9 verse 10 it says and those who know your name will put their trust in you for you lord have not forsaken those who seek you the more we know the more we're able to trust a name means character plus reputation and when you know what kind of god he is we put our trust in him Faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God God is, we can't have faith. That faith will come naturally when we know what kind of God God is. Ignorance and unbelief take away from our faith. But knowledge of God will strengthen our faith. As we grow in our knowledge of him, we come to recognize how much God is involved in our lives. If I were to sit down and talk with every one of you, You could share with me how God has intimately ministered to your heart about different circumstances and different situations. We begin to understand how much he desires for us to know him. 
We understand how much he desires for us to be like him. In Romans 8, verse 29, says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Our knowledge of him makes it clear, as John the Baptist so eloquently said, when he said in John 3, verse 30, He must increase and I must decrease. That must be our position every day of our life. In order to decrease, we live the crucified life. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty four, If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Our life is not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, we're told, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Galatians 2, verse 20. This used to be a song, and I love it. I love when songs are scripture because I need the word of God constantly in my mind. And this was a song uh, they used to sing years ago. And the song, uh, the scripture is, I have been crucified with Christ. Um, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by the Son of God, who loved me and died for me and gave himself for me. This is the life I live. I live by the Son of Jesus Christ. My life no longer belongs to me. And you know what? I don't want it to belong to me. I know what I can do with my life. I just bring destruction to it. But God enhances and does so much. God is only truly known in the soul as we yield ourselves to him, submit to his authority, and order all the details of our lives by his holy principles, by his word. Our old sin nature is to be crucified, and we die to our old sin nature the moment we were born again. Unfortunately, we do not automatically automatically become like him. It's not a matter of studying, studying his attributes, and we magically become like him. It doesn't work that way. We said earlier, we have to die to our flesh. We have to take on his and, and bow to his authority. In order for that transformation to happen, there must be a relinquishing of our rights and yielding to his authority over ours. But ladies, I will let you know right now, it's not a bed of roses. It's war. It's a war between the flesh and the spirit. And in Galatians 5, 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It is warfare. It is warfare. You know, um, I'm watching my grandchildren this week because their mom had to go on a, on a trip. And um, they were just fighting tooth and nail. Girls, they can get in some good cat fights, right? My grandchildren aren't any different. And um, here, I, and I'm just sharing with them, this is warfare. You guys are in the midst of warfare and you don't even recognize it. But you know what? We're guilty of it too, aren't we? We get caught up in our flesh and we're behaving so poorly and we don't even realize it because... We don't have the mind of Christ. We're not, we're not submitting to his authority. Our old sin nature will use every opportunity to resurrect itself. It's not something that you can do apart from the Lord. It's never in the energies of your flesh. Job said in Job 20, verse 22, In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to be in distress and you're going to fail. Peter thought he could handle um, being spiritual in the energies of his flesh. And he failed miserably as he denied the Lord three times before the rooster crowed, right? Because he was doing it in the energies of his flesh. 
Our sufficiency, ladies, is through him. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Understand that. Our sufficiency is in him. When I was about 20 years old, and my sisters and my brother and a few of the family, there were seven of us kids, but some of us accepted the Lord. And my mother questioned what was going on. And so she read the entire Bible. But she, not being born again, not having the Holy Spirit, could not comprehend the changes that were taking place. And she couldn't comprehend because there were drastic changes that were taking place. But ladies, the natural man can't comprehend the things of the Spirit. Knowledge is not enough. We know he is revealed through creation, through history, and through science. But man still does not know God. They know of him, but they don't know God. The advantage that we have once and then born again. In John 17, uh, 14, verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. This is the advantage we have. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling. Being born again, we become a new creation. And at that time began a desire to know him, to be transformed into his image. Something far more than what knowledge can do. We are being transformed through the knowledge of him, but also through the power of his Holy Spirit. Having his Holy Spirit allows us to know our God and to be like him. The only way we war against our flesh is through the Holy Spirit and in the power of his might. The reception of the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. If born again, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit before he left when he was sharing with his disciples. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? I love it. He dwells within me. Paul said in Galatians 5, uh, 16 and verse 25, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. We, the believer, have the power of God working in us. Ephesians 3, 20 says, now to whom, to who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. Listen to this. According to to the power that works in us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. There's no power within us. Our power lies with, with, with the Holy Spirit indwelling. It is amazing how we'll be transformed from who we are to what we as we grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ in our everyday circumstances in the things that we deal with 
You're transformed in your whole outlook of life. You're no longer limited by your standards and your limitations. You now have incredible resources through the knowledge of him and through the aid of the Holy Spirit as you deal with your circumstances. I love it. We're not left to our knowledge. We're not left to our wisdom. But we now have resources beyond anything we ever thought possible. You're transformed in your reaction to those around you when you want to be uncaring, knowing God. God is merciful, which has manifested his mercy towards you. You're transformed in your reaction to those who have been victimized, knowing our God is omnipresent. And because he is everywhere at one time, he is aware of the situations at hand. You're transformed in how you react when you're fearful, knowing our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. When I'm fearful, I just trust in God because he's all-powerful. And he's there. Uh, You're transformed in how you respond to illnesses, knowing our God is sovereign and that everything happens in our lives for a reason. And you surrender to the fact that your life is not your own. You're transformed in how you look at death, knowing our God is eternal. And we recognize that he has given us eternal life through the sacrifice of his son. You're transformed in how you deal with the worries and the cares Our God is righteous, and he does what is right. You're transformed as you, the things that come out of your mouth, because we serve a holy God, and we want holy communication, and and God doesn't want anything corrupt coming from our mouth. Everything changes as we look at him, as we walk with him, as we look at those attributes, and they become a part of us. We want to be transformed by his glory. There is so much that we don't know, but we're told in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we all with unveiled faces beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another. The more we behold the brilliant and the glorious light of Jesus, the more our minds are being permeated by his Holy Spirit. Psalms 84, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. There is to be a continual increase of moral purity, holiness, through the word and through the Holy Spirit until resulting in one day actually being like him. In understanding who he is, it is our heart's desire to be transformed into his image. This is, what, this is why we're here. This is why we're at church. This is why we want to grow, because we want to become more like him. And this is God's desire that you become more like him. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for your grace. We praise you for your glory. We thank you for what you desire and just how you have manifested yourself in so many ways to us. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to grow in grace and in knowledge, and in favor before you, Lord. It is our desire that we finish well. It is our desire that we stand fast in the faith. It is our desire that we be a light to the world as you are transforming us. Lord, let us be clay in your hands. Let us be putty. That we would allow you to be the potter and us the clay. Father, we are so thankful that you desire to do this in our lives. 
And Lord, sometimes we look at our lives and it's a mess and we feel like we're not being transformed. But it's actually like that beautiful um, um, knitting that goes on. One side is just really tangled in a mess and the other is the most beautiful embroidery. And that's what you see. And we're so grateful, Lord. And so, Lord, we lift our lives to you that you may do with what you think, Lord. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies.